0: Yes, very excited on multiple levels. Uh, Great to have Pastor Jim here, as well as the excitement looking ahead to uh, Pastor Ken and and Lisa. Um, I I just got to say, it's a privilege to be a part of this team that God has has put together. And uh, it's encouraging to see how the Lord provides, even in advance, when we don't understand what's going on. And uh, if you know uh, Pastor Ken and Lisa's story at all, uh, you know that's on full display. And that gives us hope as we go through whatever it is that God is leading us to, even this morning, perhaps. I'd ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning, if you would, with me. Uh, I was just thinking as we sang, um, just how perfect what we just sang truly was. Our Lord, our prize, our reward, our joy. We look to Him. And what's sad is often we don't do that until we're in the depths of trial. And walking with Him daily in that expectation and rooted in that relationship is something we certainly grow in. I don't know about you, but I wish I'd grown in some of that a little faster, a little earlier. But as we look at joy this morning, it's not that we can't have it or haven't had it. The question is, how do we live it? How do we live in it? And even as we were singing, I was realizing how much of just this world is pulling the opposite direction. We'll get into a little bit of the world, you know, the early 20th century, the mid-20th century, where we are today. But, you know, even as we think about the options for church, you know, where you can go to have a church experience, and you come to a place like this where there's so much time that's dedicated to the Word, and the reality is it's, it's, it's connected to a different perspective of joy. Of a different perspective of happiness and gladness. And so this morning as we look at a joyful reality, I just want to connect some of the dots there. But as you know, we're only going to be briefly looking at this. There's really even a couple messages probably here in what we're going to look at. And there's certainly a few more down the road that would be needed to connect them all. But as we think about a joyful reality, you know, we really just got to ask the question, do you have it? Do I have joy? Remember that Got Milk commercials, beef, it's what's for dinner. It was a thing. I don't know. Maybe it was the early 2000s, just one thing. It's always food, too. I don't know if you noticed. But what about joy? Do you have joy? You know, it's a very important question this morning as we look at this It's really tied into so many times even as we are looking at faith and trust between Pastor Ken and I as we talked through the past number of weeks it was one of the things I mentioned a couple times that the joy is a litmus test. It's a measurement, it's a red flag run up the flagpole of our life when it's not there of where our focus is and where our heart really is. And so when we ask this question you have joy, I realized this morning there's a lot of different paths that led each one here. Conflict in the home often defines a lot of Sunday mornings. The reality is there's people that are not feeling well that aren't here. There are people that aren't feeling well or maybe on death's door even now that are on our minds and hearts. And even as we read in Philippians, sometimes it's easiest for us to get a little calloused and forget that he's writing from prison. He's writing from a prison situation, waiting for his own adjudication before the emperor. The Caesar. God joy is not situational. At least it shouldn't be. And so we look at this. I'd ask you to read along with me. Philippians chapter 4, if you're there already, starting in verse 4. Shot across the bow of our lives here is this command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, I'm already convicted. I'm condemned. I don't do that. I need to. Always, all the time. We'll talk about that. And in case we didn't get it, in case we want to synthesize it and twist it a little bit, well, I don't know. He says, again, I will say rejoice. And I just want to point out, if you look at the context, which we don't have time to in every aspect, we're really looking at joy here this morning. Sometime we'll have to break this down through. Realize he's talking in the conflict. He's talking in the context of these two women, Iodia and Syntyche, that are, are at war with one another. And the sadness on his heart, as he says, within the church body These two women were so central even to the beginning of that church. The expression, the declaration of the gospel even there in Philippi. And he's looking to the church saying, listen, help these ladies. And then he shifts to rejoice. Rejoice. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And I want to say if there's ever a time where this was any more true it's certainly today the lord truly is at hand since the sound of that trumpet's not too far away do not be anxious about anything well there i go again i'm i'm guilty do not be anxious i mean we live in a world we live in a society that's driven by anxiety over everything we're told to just take some medication that's not what paul says Do not be anxious about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's very important. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this. I wish we lived this all the time. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds, in Christ Jesus. Listen, I, I, I want to live this more. I hope all of us see what Paul is talking about and realize how grand of a picture he's really calling us into, even in these short few verses. So let's just open our word of prayer and ask him to help us as we look to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love that you share the truth of us. We thank you for your love that you would redeem us from our paths driven by the flesh and distracted and pulled away by the things of this world. We thank you that you continue to call us to walk with you. Lord, I pray that as we think about the things in each of our lives which are so varied, yet so similar, we pray that your spirit would apply these things to our hearts, that we know this peace, that we would choose this path. And that we would have this kind of joy that you are calling us to, even in conflict, even in chaos, even in different circumstances and situations, Lord, that we would be able to live out maybe just a little more what we've sung of even this morning. And we thank you for that. Thank you for that work in advance. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we look at this, and I hope you have a copy of your notes there with you, we realize that not only are we looking at whether or not we have joy in our life, right? So that's kind of like the the red flag, the litmus test. But that He's calling us to respond. He's calling us to respond to who He is. And that as we look at this passage and, and all the commands, and we'll look at a number this morning, the central truth in our life is that really where I am at drives my joy. And it's just so much different than the circumstances around us. We live in a world that, that and even in our own flesh and perspective, continues to connect the dots. It's your circumstances that drive your experience. And what he's saying here is, you no, know, it, it's our focus, and it's it's our faith. And so we spend a lot of time looking to to answer and to conform our experiences in many different ways to affect joy. And this is a very different perspective that God is calling us to even here. The central truth that my focus and, the, and, and with that my faith drives my joy key, brings a little bit of accountability when I say, I don't know if I have any right now. Actually, I know I don't. I'm very anxious. I'm very fearful right now. There's a lot of conflict in my heart and I don't know how to settle it. You know, as we, as we work through these things, I hope that we realize that even as we look at this title, a joyful reality, it can be, it should be, and that is what God is calling us to, reality, a joyful reality, to live that out. See, the tough thing is, and we've talked about this before, about that issue of trust and faith. That's the bridge from our experience to living that, that reality. But what, what about reality? Not to get so esoteric and into the weeds here this morning. I really try not to be distracted too much by all the different things that have been said, but try to connect the dots here in the world that we live in. I think of Albert Einstein, early 20th century. Of course, many know him for his work in physics, but he was a man. He had relationships and and a life and a wife and all that stuff that goes with it. And he lost a dear friend. And one of the things he wrote in regards to that is he said that now that he has departed from this strange world, and this was a man that understood the strangeness of this world. He says, he's departed from the strange world a little ahead of me. It signifies nothing. For those of us who believe in physics, there's a connection there to belief in something, right? The distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Now, some have grabbed a hold of this and said, look, Albert Einstein says that all this is is just a... Um, An illusion, though stubbornly persistent. That's kind of twisting his words a little bit, no doubt. But when he's talking about this, what he's saying, other than the fact that this is a strange world, is he saw this world full of contradictions and realizing that even the experience of them, the way we process them in part, defines the reality that we're living in. And not again, this could be really into the weeds, so I want to bring this on the track as much as possible here this morning. There's a lot of contradictions and twists. He who would lose his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. That's a contradiction. And as, as, as Einstein looked at this reality, time is inescapable. But even as he understood physics to define this world that God has created for us, it's also relative. Someone asked him what the definition of relative time was. He's like, well, if you put your hand on a hot stove, that's an eternity You spend an hour with the one you love. It seems like a moment. It's so relative. But it's so real. It's interesting that matter builds this universe. And as I hold on to this right now, it feels so firm. That chair underneath you this morning so real. But the reality is is it's nothing. You dive into the basis of all the little molecules that make up everything. And they're baffled that it's even there. I don't know what holds it together. See, God's the one who created all this. His his quote highlights the truth that what we experience is as much about our interaction with our environment as our environment. God created it all. That, That is to say, the information, even in our world as we walk through it, is connected to what we see in it. Now, that was one perspective. That's, a physical, that's the physical, that's the reality, as Einstein knew this world better than the rest of us, and he looked out to him and says, This is a strange world. This is a strange world. And we get to more of the, the culture as we think about the different ways our own culture teaches about what's real and what's not. We got John Lennon from The Beatles. He says, I believe in everything until it's disproven. I believe in fairies, myths, dragons. It all exists even if it's in your mind. Who's to say that dreams and nightmares aren't as real as the here and the now? Well, <laughs> a reality actually says that. But it's in my mind. And if I can't disprove it, if I, he be, notice, becomes the authority, becomes the God of his reality, if I think it, it's real enough for me. Now we've gone all the way to this place we are today. That if you don't support my fairy tale of what I think, of what I've imagined, of my preferred reality, if you don't call me by my preferred pronouns, then you're doing violence to me. This is is part of how we've gotten here. And as we look at how this aspect of reality is defined, I want to I want a fine point, I'm put a fine point on this. It truly comes down to whether or not we are going to live in the reality that God has created or look to live in one we make for ourselves. Oh, and it's shades and its spectrums, but we do this in so many different ways. And our world is headed to the cliff in the fantasy land and calling us and in fact, probably at some point, forcing us to support their perspectives. Listen, God defines all reality. He created all that is. The eternal things that await us, the things around the corner, those things that are true even today. This world is looking to co-opt a different version of this world. Becoming God itself, demanding that we come alongside. And a lot of times we think of ourselves so much different than that. And listen, we are in so many ways, don't get me wrong. But think about how often our joy and our happiness is tied to a different reality. If only my situation was different. If only I could do this. If only I had that. If only I didn't have this. If only they would. Think about how much of our joy is driven by our desire to have a different reality in the moment. We struggle with this. When we align our lives with the true reality. And this is what God's calling us to. And this is the bridge that's hard for us to walk across. Because we are living here and things do stink. And those people are that and you don't have that. And, we, and it's nice to have these things. It's, it's good, no doubt. But he calls us to something bigger. And sometimes those trials, in fact, I would even say if you're a believer, every time these trials and these conflicts in our heart are made manifest, it's calling us to something greater And that's what he's calling us even this morning. But when we look at the Lord as he defines all, in your notes you see a long list of references. And it's all of how God is reinforcing the fact that he himself is the creator of all things. He is the one who created not even what is past and not only what is now, but what will be. And if we believe he did all of that then, and we trust him for all it is now, it demands of us that we look ahead I love Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 25. He says, "For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak and I will and it will be performed. I will speak the word and perform it," declares God. Listen, when God says it's going to happen, when he says it is, it becomes reality. I don't know if you remember, but in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said and it was made. And he said it was made. And he said it was made. When he says that the meek will inherit the earth, then I can trust him as I look to live in meekness, power under control. It's so important. We can't get to biblical joy. We can't talk about having this kind of confidence Apart from stepping through this gateway of who God is and who has defined reality, reality. You see, biblical joy is so much more than anything we can experience in this world apart from Him. Biblical joy is substantive reality. It may be deferred. It may be in hope and expectation. It may be in faith. But trust me, it is real. There's coming a day when faith will come to an end and hope will be in an end because the substance of all of that will be right before our eyes. We're not there yet. But he calls us to live in light of that. And isn't it great? He blesses us along the way. These real things in our life. We're we're some of the most blessed people in the face of the earth, in the history of man. Why, Why are we so joyless? It's never enough apart from him. And trust me, with him, oh, It's so much more than enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. Biblical joy is substantive reality. It's not a delusion. As Mark says, religion is the opiate of the masses. No, trust me, we are not under the influence. When we walk in this path that God has called us to, as we walk and live In reality, we're the most sober-minded on the face of the earth, and that's what he calls us to. It's rooted in who he is. But what about this joy versus happiness? I I don't know about you, but I've heard this preached a number of different ways and different times. And even in my mind, for a long time, I, I really thought that there was the impossibility for an unbeliever to have any happiness. Or, I'm sorry, joy. All they have is happiness. You know, we have real joy. What was really convicting was opening God's Word and seeing all the different places that it uses the word joy in regards to even the world. And you see that on the back of your notes, there's a number of different passages there just for your reference. Not all of them. You might say, I I see Galatians 5 is not there. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. That's not there. A number of others aren't there because this isn't exhaustive. But just this idea, is there a difference between joy and happiness? Does the world have one and we have another? Well, as we, as we look at this, the Bible does speak of joy. But the biblical perspective of joy that believers have is so much more than anything that the world can have simply because it's not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. When we go running around after all of these circumstances in our life for our joy, we may find it for a moment. We may find some happiness for a moment. But it's fleeting. Simply put, the definition of joy is the state of happiness and well-being. And, and the Bible talks about this in various different ways. There's many different words that are used to kind of define this at various levels, no doubt. But the difference between our joy and what the world has is it's durable. Joy through suffering is not something that the world will ever have. Joy and hardship requires faith. Listen, that's when it all falls apart. And if I were to ask a very simple question this morning, is that where it falls apart for us? (laughs) To be honest, a lot of times. When those hardships come, when those things don't come, when the realities of where we are start to bite, that's where we struggle. That's where faith really starts to be required. And we struggle in that. If you look at your notes here, you see many different passages. There's a common good that God has blessed all men, even the unbelieving. There's joy in various different things that you would experience normally. I mean, like child having a child, in a family, moments in marriage. I mean, there are very few miserable people at the altar getting married, even unbelievers. I mean, they're going to have a great, great life together, and it lasts for however long. But in that moment, there's real joy. Moments of deliverance, victory, acquisition. I kind of chuckle at this. You might say, boy, Pastor Andrew really talks a lot about cars. But think about the joy when you got a car for a really good price. And you're like, this was awesome. And that joy lasts until it, well, until it breaks down, right? (laughs) And then what do you do? You go buy a brand new car, not a good price, but it's got a warranty. And you're really excited about that. Until it breaks down and then you got to wait a month to get it fixed. And then that's not so great. Or until it gets its first dent. Or whatever. These are all examples of moments of fleeting joy. Not to take away from the definition even biblically. If you go down look and see how these wicked people in Revelation will rejoice over the two false prophets. I'm sorry, not over the two false prophets. But the two witnesses that will be killed. Jesus says to his own disciples in John, listen, the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your joy or your sorrow will be turned to joy listen people can have joy that don't know god the sad thing is is that we follow after their pattern of seeking it in these circumstantial areas and ways even the wicked do rejoice but it's not over what is right 1 Corinthians chapter 13 sp- speaks of love and one of the definitions of love is that it does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but instead over the truth. You know, this is convicting to me because I realized how much of our own lives really are very parallel to the world. And this command to rejoice always will never be possible in those patterns parallel to the world. And so as we look at this this morning, I hope we can kind of connect the dots here with faith and expectation and need to trust Him for what we can't see. And so as we look at the text this morning, let's just turn our attention to this very simple statement, which already is very convicting. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. The simplicity of it all, is really driven by the fact that this is, this is a command. You know, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul that you need to do this. So there is his part and our part. And in commands, there's an the expectation of our part to respond to what he has said. Now, mind you, this is all through everything else he's already said. All those indicatives, as Pastor Ken said some time ago. Indicatives lead the imperatives. In other words, God is, God is, you are, you are, this is the truth. Now do this and do that, right? But we're commanded to rejoice. And over and over and over again, I mean, even in John 15, we see that Jesus very clearly shared with his disciples these things I've spoken to you, driven by abiding, driven by loving one another as I have loved you, that whole context, 14 and 15, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What happens when my joy is in full? I need to go back to what he said. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And you might say, this is such a New Testament thing though. Listen, if you really study this, you'll find this is God's word across the Testaments. Psalm 32, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love, chesed, covenant, enduring love, surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Statement. Now here's the command. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy. So what he's calling us to is this focus on the truth, this call to reality to live it and not just say it, kind of moment, every time when we realize we're not. I'd ask you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Would you do that real quick with me? I know we're running quickly through our time here this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 5 here in a minute as well, but just turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5:16. Mind you, this is the context, just having talked about what we refer to as the rapture. There's many sorrows in Thessalonica that died, and they were really grieving. So this is the context. Again, we can't set every context, but even in the midst of their sorrow, even in the midst of their trials, Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Listen, this is great when we just read it and listen to it and walk out. But really, what's it mean to give thanks in all circumstances? I can be thankful. I mean, I've been there before. Maybe you, kind of cynical. Oh, yes, this is so wonderful. sarcastic. Oh, this is great. I'm really thankful. Sarcastic, cynical. You know, I'm really humbled in Philippians chapter 2 by the example we have of Christ where we're told elsewhere that the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He bore the shame. How can I be thankful? I'll tell you what, in the flesh I can't be. Looking for these momentary, circumstantial joys in this world, I can't be. Listen, if there's no God on the throne, I got no reason for things, He comes, becomes just an abuser of us apart from his promise of goodness to us, right? But we know those things aren't true. And so he's calling us to reality. In reality, if he promises great blessing in every single suffering that we are called to endure, then though I may not enjoy it, I can be thankful for what he's promised, but i got to trust him for it. And again, that's the rub. That's where I need to come to Him. And we see the connection even in the passage over and over and over again. Prayer. We need to be praying in all circumstances, giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, for you may wonder, what is God's will for my life? Well, here's an example of at least one very clear statement, and there's a lot of work for me to work on in this one. I've got some, some work to do, for sure. But it's connected to trust. It's connected to trust. You see, He's not telling us to rejoice, back to Philippians chapter 4, in our circumstances, in our relationships, in our wealth, in our blessings. He's not telling us to rejoice in our suffering, the moments of pain, we don't rejoice over that individual momentary experience. We rejoice despite it because we rejoice in the Lord that He has this in Him. I think of John chapter 14. We hear it often at funerals. Sometimes I think we leave them in those settings. But this is for us all the time. This is another command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Which means if I stay in that and I know that and the Spirit convicts my heart, that that's where I'm at. That flagpole just had a flag of warning thrown up there. I got no peace. I've got no joy. Anxiety and fear is dominating me right now. He said, don't be there. You know what his response is? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you trust me? full circle all the time. The truth is, no, I don't. I'm not trusting you for that. I'm not thinking about what you've promised. I've literally defined my own reality. Listen, when our problems are so big and God is small, it's chaos. You've heard it. But when God is big, our problems get really small. They really do. That's what he's calling us to. Oh my goodness, think about these conflicts in your life. How big they can get. Philippians chapter four, Paul saying, These two women, listen, reality is bigger than whatever you got going on. So much bigger than that. And to the church, help them know this. And all of you rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Let's turn to Matthew five as we look at the words of our Lord. Matthew five. What is the Lord speaking to us this morning? Could be miserable, and trust me, that's what I hear in my heart. Could be miserable, and trust me, He who did not withhold His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how shall He not also freely give us all things? Romans chapter eight. I tell you, I'm so convicted when I think of these things. But Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount as he gathers the crowds after going on the mountain he sat down and his disciples came to him verse verse 1 and 2 he opened his mouth and he taught them let's just think about this for a minute blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you humble yourself under the mighty hand of god you come to him you're poor in spirit you're not lifted up in pride You find the Lord. Gives grace to the humble. In no way turns any aside that come to Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be the ones in the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Really? Is it blessed to mourn? To have your heart ripped out of your chest? Well, yes. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, listen, the God of all comforts Comforts us and we comfort others the God of all comfort listen there's a part of our relationship with God that is not made more real than in those times where we need his comfort and we turn to him for it oh we are blessed it doesn't feel like it but blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek meek meekness is strength under control Christ was meek, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, as he even submitted himself to the cross. Now, he did still cleanse the temple, don't get me wrong. But under control, under the control of the will of God. Listen, if you're not strong, if you're weak, if you are not convinced that God has you in his hands, that you are more than conquerors, that God has given you the victory in Christ, that you are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1. If you aren't rooted in those truths, boy, you get really frantic and, and fearful and anxious because you've got to do everything. You can't be meek. You've got to fight for it yourself. But no, the meek, if you trust the Lord, are blessed. <laughs> because if you have been given the victory as a child of God, you're going to inherit the earth. Look at that. What gain is it for a man and if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? You come to the Lord and he gives you the kingdom. He gives you eternity. He gives you everything. You can be meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Notice how Jesus is declaring these things. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. They receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And no doubt soon in our world, blessed are those who are persecuted when you don't bow down to support the expectations of those that would say, if you don't agree with my reality, you do violence to me. You hate me. God says, I love you enough to tell you this is reality. And you can be very blessed if you live in it. But we'll face that choice. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account what's jesus say rejoice this is a command in the midst of all of this listen if we don't believe these things to be true we can't live them we've got to trust him for this we got to trust him that the kingdom is ours we got to trust him that we don't have to fight for everything that he has what's best for us When we're not, trust me, that joy is gone. We don't have this, but He calls us to it. Rejoice and be glad. Why? What's the basis for this? Your reward is great in heaven. Not will be, it already is. Established for you. Trust Him for it. Do I believe I'm blessed? I tell you what, there's times in our life we don't feel like we're very blessed, and we're so blessed. Do I trust Him for my best? You know, a lot of times I don't. Who becomes responsible for my best when He's not the one who is trusted with it? It becomes me. Anxious, fearful, weak, struggling. I sure hope we're growing in this. What are the takeaways this morning as we think through some of these connections. What are the takeaways? The truth is, my focus and my faith drives my joy. What kind of joy am I going to have? Am I going to have the circumstantial joy? Trusting myself? Trusting the things of this world? Listen, chasing after the next thing, the next vehicle, the next baby, the next relationship, the next earning statement, the next whatever it is. We're a slave to the moment. Satisfied for a fleeting Second of our life and constantly striving for more. Is it real in a moment? Well, kind of. Sure. Experientially? Okay. But that's not what he calls us to. Instead of being blown around in my joys by winds in life, choosing to rejoice means I have to change my focus. And when I don't have that joy, Making a choice in the moment to remind myself, hey, I know who's got this. I know what's wrong. And so now I got to come to him and place my trust in him. Ask him for help. Pray without ceasing is there for a reason. We need that. Choosing to give thanks is there for a reason as much as rejoicing in everything. It's all tied together, it's inseparable. Where were some enemies of joy this morning? Uh, Joy killers, uh, joy robbers, those things in our life that that just continue to sidetrack us from our walk with the Lord. Well, each one of us might have some different things, but there's some common principles. Uh, Certainly, the first one is the rejection of truth. The rejection of truth. You see, truth is the definition of reality. That which defines reality. And we may have a little sense of happiness or joy when we walk in a false reality, but eventually reality bites. You know, the, the difference between big and small is all about perspective. And people say, well, it depends on your perspective. Well, that's great until your small little toe hits your really big dresser, and that's pretty real right there. It's what it is. You can't run from it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You cannot run from the reality that there is a God, the sovereign of the universe, and he answers. I'm sorry, we answer to him. Rejection of the truth. You will have no joy if you will not submit to the truth. But taking him at his word and living, it, it's hard. And what's convicting to me is so often in our life and practice, the truth is, that's really what I'm doing. Either it's not true, or I don't believe them, or some form of that. Focus on self-fulfillment is a robber of joy. Focus on self-fulfillment is an, an aspect of this that really is two parts. You see, when we make ourselves the author of our own blessing the definers of our own realities, and it's about self. Well, we can't do it. Oh, we really wish we were God, but we just aren't. Even the depths of our soul, we know we can't affect it. And that anxiety and the fearfulness of what you can't control is part of what defines that self-direction when all is about you, when you're not trusting Him for it, or when you're not looking to Him in it. So it's as much about the object of being focused on self, being an agent of our happiness and joy, as much as the fulfillment of it. Self-fulfillment often drives so many things that are hurtful, maybe to others. When you yourself look for what you want and what you feel you need in the moment, and I'm not saying those things aren't important. Listen, we all have needs. There's requirements. There's, there's guardrails to these things. But when it becomes about us, Seeking our happiness and joy. Oh, we do some foolish things. And the irony is in doing those, we actually destroy the blessings. We actually destroy the things that God has already established in our lives to bring true joy, real joy, as we follow Him. Think about that car, that last business deal, those relationships, your marriage. Your, your kids, your work. Boy, so focused destroys a lot, and not just for the moment. Forgetting God's promises, that's a joy killer. What do we need to do if we realize that I've forgotten who's on the throne? Well, we have to remind ourselves of that, but you might say, what promises? I'd say all of them. I mean, we're just looking at Romans 8. Matthew 5, the question is, are we reading? As we read, we see the faithfulness of God on every page. We're reminded of His Word. We need to memorize and, 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 and put that in our hearts. Trust me, when things are really bad, and I mean really bad, tragedy, you don't have time to dig into these things. You need to have them already invested in your hearts and lives. And in these moments when the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, it's not looking good, oh, it's right. I know these promises. I know what God says. I know what Jesus says. And ultimately, as we think about the need to focus on His promises, we realize that it's all just tied to worship. What is the enemy of joy? It's my heart's direction away from Him and down here. And you know, for a fleeting moment, you know, like when we drift, and I don't know how to describe it. Maybe some of you would have a better description, but it's kind of like waking up from a nap. You know, when you realize, you wake up and you're like, oh, that's right, I'm not there. When you're not with the Lord, you know, there's all these things going on in your heart. Failing to worship is a perspective of the soul. Every day, getting their life on track. Every moment when you realize you're not there, back to who is on the throne Worship in thankfulness. And thankfulness is just honesty with reality. He did it, I didn't. It was good, and I benefited from it. You realize thankfulness is just agreeing with reality again and being graciously thankful and gratitude. Thank you for doing that. Oh my goodness, how often, how often we can walk in this life so entitled in our walk with the Lord. Thankfulness, obedience. Simply put, listen, we cannot experience true biblical joy if we're not walking obediently with the Lord. In fact, it's through His commands that He actually establishes aspects of true, amazing joy. Not just for eternity, but even now. Sometimes those are investments in the short-term costs. Worship, as I ascribe worth and value to Him and follow Him even when I don't agree with what I think might be the outcome which leads to the worship of prayerful dependence. I don't know. I don't know about you, but when we look at these things, I'm just driven to God because I can't do this. And being there is great. We should be there often. He tells us to come to Him. And when I don't come to Him, I'm telling Him, I don't think you're worth it. I think something else is more important. And that's convicting to me when I think of it. The truth is, he's so worthy. We are not. He's so wonderful. And we sh- we struggle at anything good, really. But I know we're growing. And I hope this morning, just a couple of comments here on joy is encouraging. And all the different ways it fleshes out, even in Philippians, the rest of the passage. I have to leave to another time, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have nothing to say before you other than We're not enough. The truth is, we're often so much more like the world than maybe we would think. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us. Pray that your spirit would convict us. The truth is, we suffer. We suffer so much in perspectives disconnected from you. As we look to ourselves, as we look to this world, as we're caught in these old patterns. In fact, we've lived in them so long that sometimes we don't even see them. But we just pray that you would help us, that you would remind us, and in those moments, having even these words in our hearts and minds, that you would enable us as we look to come to you with our hearts, trust you for what we can do, and to look to you in it all to work it out. We thank you in advance. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for the joy that you give to us. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.